Hello everyone and welcome to the Artistic Futures podcast. My name is Marie and in this series I will be meeting a range of people who work in opera and are keen to share their passion with the next generation. From singers to conductors, directors to composers, you will get an insight into how a range of artists built on their careers, turning what they enjoyed doing and were good at into a profession. It will also be full of useful tips and advice for those of you who would be tempted to give it a go. So, let's get started. In this episode, I caught up with Opera North Youth Chorus Master Nicolas Show. Nicolas has worked with our youth company for the last five years and he has just won the Educators Trust Inspirational Educator Award 2022 for his outstanding contribution to music education. In parallel, he is an organist and director of Chapel of Music at Lincoln's Inn in London. Nicholas trained at Oxford as an organ scholar of Magdalen College and at the Royal Academy of Music, where he was one of the founding students on the choral conducting course. Hi Nick, and thank you so much for your time today. We are at the Hobart Opera Centre, where you rehearse every week with the youth company at Opera North. Uh, and we've known each other for quite a while. We've worked together for the last five or six years now. So it's, it's great to actually get to speak to you about your journey as an artist. I'm sure there are lots of things I would discover that I have never asked you before. <laughs> so we'll see how that goes. <laughs> But I think I wanted to start by asking you where your love for music comes from. Uh, I don't think you come from a particularly musical family, but um, yeah, if you could tell us a bit about that. Thanks, Marie. It's um, yeah, it's nice to be here. I come from a family who don't particularly like music. I think that's fair to say. I've always said uh, in my line of work that there are no people who are tone deaf that I can get anybody to sing. But there is one exception, and that's my brother. And I'm quite happy to admit that, and I don't think he would he would um, worry about me saying so. Really, my love of it came quite soon. I mean, there are stories of me sitting in the back of the car and uh, singing "The Sound of Music." And uh, uh, you know what? I, I love that film. Well, well, of course. Well, I, I mean, why wouldn't you? Know? Why wouldn't you love the sound of music? And yeah. annoying my parents in the front, and annoying my brother certainly on on the side. Uh, but asking my parents, was I singing in tune? Was that was it in tune? Was it in tune? Being kind of aware of that from a really really young age, and they tolerated that and um, didn't do anything particularly with it. And really, my journey—I can pinpoint it exactly. I was thinking about this the other day that it was um, at primary school, so I must have been in either year three or year four, where the local church choir master came to the school to recruit for the church choir now we didn't go to church my parents aren't religious i'm not particularly religious but there was something in what he was offering uh, as an experience of being a chorister that totally clicked with me totally clicked and i signed up and i went home and told my mother that i wanted to join the local church choir to be told don't be so stupid that's two rehearsals a week I think it was plus all day Sunday and she said I can do it and so I pestered and I pestered and I pestered and I pestered and a year later 
she allowed me to join and that was it really um and it was one of those lovely experiences where a whole group has joined at the same time who have all gone on into music so of my colleagues in my year uh one sings as a soprano at the uh Covent Garden uh one runs the orchestra up at the Sage in Gateshead uh one is a really good choral director one is an arts admin so actually it was something very special about it I don't think it was just me that something about that experience I think the choir was terrible probably <laughs> I think the choir was actually pretty shocking um and there is one recording of me singing as a treble and it'll remain locked in the vault forever because it's a pretty <laughs> nasty noise that I made, I think. Uh, I was certainly never going to be a cathedral chorister, but it, it just instilled in me, I think, a discipline for rehearsing and a real love of, 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 sort of corporate music making uh, mm-hmm. when you're doing with other people. And that was, that was really good. And that set me up really on a, on a pathway towards being a church musician and I spent years and years and years training to be a church musician so I learnt the organ and I went to Magdalen College Oxford to be the organ scholar. It's interesting that you, you came into church music but without really having much connection to to religion and church uh, yeah. yeah but you, you can do that like I think it was just I liked the music it was yeah. it, I liked singing I liked um, I shouldn't say this probably, but I quite like the sound of the organ as an instrument. That's a, a terrible admission. All, even after all these years, and I haven't really played the organ recently to any high standard, but it's still something about it that certainly I find mm. quite appealing. So, so how did you, get, did you get that opportunity to learn the organ? Was it um, through the connection you had made through the choir, or was it through school? It was a mixture. I think the choir set it up, um, and then I was awarded a music scholarship to go somewhere where I could learn the organ. And it's the sort of school that I won't name because they were five difficult years. Um, it's a school that was known in those days as being very good at rugby um, and it was an army school. So one day a week I was all dressed up doing my army thing, um, which really those people that know me uh, will understand that's really not me in mm. any way. No. But it did, through all the difficulties it was, it did... Um, allow me the chance to practice the organ. I think basically because the music teacher, and this is such a this is such an important thing, isn't it? That so many musicians say this. There was one particular music teacher yeah. who uh, looked after me and pushed me and supported me. And without him, he's now a, a headmaster at a ballet school, at an arts performing school. Um, without him and his support, I wouldn't have done it. Uh, in the way that I did and I wouldn't have actually been so devoted because it came a bit of a I'll do this to get through school um, yeah. and so my music making was sort of reactionary at that point at school I was a, certainly a very different person okay. to how so I am now. So it was now. a bit of a way to escape maybe. Uh, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely yeah. And so your love for choral music came quite early but how did you develop an interest in conducting? That came um, a little bit later I went to Magdalen as I said now Magdalen is a college with which has a, a, a cathedral-style choir. So there are trebles who rehearse every day and sing every day with the choir. So my job at Magdalen, I went to Oxford to do that. I had no interest at all in a degree. I'll be honest, I did no work at all for my degree at Oxford. Uh, but I just spent all of my time working with the choir. And it was a busy schedule. I mean, every, as an undergraduate, every day I was up at sort of 6.30, I was rehearsing... 7.30 till 9 with the choristers, then probably during the day doing some sort of theory training or something with them. And then there was a service every day and then there was practice. So it was 
I would think probably four or five hours of my time, seven days a week, was doing that. That's um, a lot, yeah, yeah. I, I can understand that you don't, don't have much space then to think about your actual degree. No, I didn't. And nor did I want to. If I wanted to, yeah. to, to, to I did a music degree, if I wanted yeah. to uh, think academically about a degree, then I would have gone and done that. But I wanted, I'm still on this path to be a church musician, and this is very much the traditional route. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got to the end of a degree where I'd been playing all the time and thought, well, that's fine, but the old-fashioned conducting route in the church was very much you wave your hands in front of a choir and it sort of happens. Okay. And I was really keen that I should be better than that and there was more to be um, found. So I went to the Royal Academy of Music um, and they just founded, or just fa- founding as I arrived. I'm not entirely sure the course actually really existed, but they took me on this sort of hybrid thing, which became a degree in choral conducting which is now quite common and many places offer mm-hmm. such a degree but in those days nobody was offering it and nobody was studying it so it was a really interesting uh, two years at the academy uh, to learn not only choral conducting but of course orchestral conducting as well as yeah. as a skill because I thought it, it, it built up my armory as musician which is such an important thing isn't it you cannot I think be just one single musician you've got to be many many musicians at, at some point in your life because they have the best chance of making a go of it otherwise you're sort of very specialized and wondering why you're not getting any jobs and there's no fallback position yeah, so do you feel doing that really equipped you with the skills you needed to then start a career as a musician it broadened my yeah. skills absolutely and i felt in doing that i could do some work as a keyboard player as a pianist as an organist as a conductor no idea really what I was going to do. Um, still had this kind of church music thing, which, which I suppose what I mean by that is going to be a cathedral organist, to yeah. go be organist of Canterbury Cathedral. That really was the, the route yeah. that I was on. Um, and, and what made you... Why epiphany? Why, yeah, why, why made you go away from that route? Then? Well, I think I realised that you didn't need to go to church and dress up in a cassock and stand still and sing. That wasn't the only way of singing. Okay. Um, and I kept, I did some amazing jobs as an organist. I mean, I was, I, I don't ever admit to this, but I was um, at the Chapel Royal as the organist for four years. So I played at St. James's Palace for all the services that happened there. And I was at Westminster Cathedral as a wooden scholar um, and did some amazing playing, really high profile playing. And you would have heard me 20 years ago on Radio 3 quite a lot playing organ recitals and things. Um, but I just thought there is something. It, it seemed a bit of a dead end that actually I may end up at the cathedral as an organist or director of music but actually there was so much more to be had as a musician there was so much more to be had and so I had a bit of a crisis um, and I resigned from the job that I was in um, and I found a job as a pianist for a youth choir um, a youth choir called Cantate which is still based in Bishop Stortford Um, and it's an extraordinary thing. It's an open access youth choir. And I went along um, completely, completely green to all of the music. I mean, I could play any Stanford you wanted. I could play any bird you wanted. But the sort of repertoire that was being done by this um, uh, very wonderful uh, conductor called Michael Kibblewhite was completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I had a hilarious audition day where I just kept saying, oh, I can't do this. Um, playing from jazz cymbals. Well, I can't really do that. I can make it sound like I figured bass a little bit. Will that do? Uh, playing some gospel standards. Well, I can sort of do that. 
but it completely overnight changed my ideas about how it might be done and to what people you might be delivering your skills. On the back of that, I went to the Guildhall, the Junior Guildhall, um, and I ran the choirs there for a long time, and I taught musicianship. So I was, I was starting to think very much more about, I suppose, secular music making, yeah. which was really interesting, and it, it completely changed my life, completely changed what I wanted to do and my um, uh, priorities. So I imagine it was quite a different way of working as well for you. Yeah, I think so. I think what's really interesting about it is that when you work in the church, there is no time. There is no time. You turn up and you rehearse things for about five minutes and then you do your best in the service. At this uh, youth choir situation, we were working really slowly but really detailed uh, on music and the conductor was really pushing these young people And that was the thing, to have the space to think about so is it. So that, is that one of the differences you've noticed as well between working with professional and working with young people? Or, or maybe not, I mean, I don't know. Is there a difference for you? There can be. I think the difference is smaller than people think it is. Yeah, I, think, I think it's uh, be a musician first, and then I don't think it matters. I think if you bring yourself, your authenticity to a situation... Um, then it doesn't matter so much. Experience, of course, plays a big part, that there are situations where you're not so experienced and therefore you might not perhaps give your best because you're, you're just nervous. Um, but I think, I, I hesitate to think there's a really big difference between the two groups because you're working with musicians and you're, and you're trying to work out their level and you're trying to bring that on and make them better. Yeah. I think with the professional situation, it's a slightly different language you're using but you're still trying to bring out the best in them, aren't yeah. you? And, 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 and take them somewhere else that they may not um, individually have thought to go. You're, you're kind of, it's more perhaps collaborative. Although not all conductors would perhaps see it like that, but I'd like to think it is, a, it is to a certain extent, a collaborative process yeah. with, with that sort of uh, musician. That makes sense to me, anyway. Yeah. I was wondering what it had been like for you working as a freelancer for a lot of musicians. Uh, Being a musician means being freelance. So, yeah, if you could tell us a little bit how you've experienced that and what are the ups and downs of being a freelancer. Yeah, uh, the trick, I think, is to take every job at a certain time of your career. So when I left the academy, I had a number of jobs that I was doing concurrently, but in terms of freelance work, I was doing all manner of things. Um, they still remain some wonderful stories um, about being on a train to somewhere you didn't really know where it was, being picked up by somebody at the station, going to a venue, playing for a concert for people you didn't know, ending up in somebody's house for, for a quiche tea. It's always a quiche or a fish pie, one of the two. Uh, changing into a DJ, going back to the concert, doing a concert, then taking you back to the station. But no real understanding of kind of where you are or what you're doing or who the people are and just doing the, doing the job. But the discipline of... of um, of doing it and preparing for it leads to other things because you never know. So the person that you might be playing for might be a very eminent musician that you've never heard of who then offers you the other work. So yeah. it's all about taking the work. The worst for me was um, as a freelancer was of course Christmas as an organist, which was a endless sea of carols. It was, it remains quite difficult for me to do carols, I think, because certainly in my early 20s, I must have played... 40, 50 carol services in a year, Sundays going from place to place, playing two or three. So yeah. that first chord of, let's say, oh, come on, your faithful goes down and <laughs> you're just feeling miserable. 
feeling miserable. Uh, but that's part of the, I think, the trick as always is learning that actually the music making you do is not always the most wonderful piece. It's not always the work you'd like to do. Um, but if you're if you're in the business, then that is part of the business and you just get on with it and you do your very best. So you joined Opera North a few years ago. Um, as, as we've heard, your background is more into church music. Uh, so what has that been like for you and have you learned anything? Is working with an opera chorus very different? Yeah, I think so. I still work with a professional church choir and that's slightly different. I think my background, this youth choir cantate, I took over as, as director in 2010. And in that sense, that set me up really well because I came to Opera North with really strong ideas as, as, as to what was healthy for young people, how to how to work with young people really well, and how to insist uh, they did their very best. In terms of being into opera, my experience of opera before Opera North was obviously something going to opera. I'd always thought I could never be a rep, a repetiteur, because I couldn't sing very well. I'm a very perfectly ordinary baritone. And nobody ever told me um, that a rep is not about the quality of voice. Um, that was a re revelation to me that actually that, that would have been a, a path I could have taken. And so I came here thinking, well, okay, I've got skills, but I lack experience. So when the chorus master says we're doing this opera and it needs children, in my first year or two, I might have thought... Well, I might have run away to my kind of crib book of opera and looked it up to see what was evolved and, and, and then kind of learnt the part. Um, so it was an absolutely enormous learning curve for that um, in my first year or two. And I've always been quite honest about that and very grateful for the company for taking on somebody of my background. But I think what's interesting is, is how an opera company works with a chorus, how it differs, how obviously, as you expect, how you're working with colour much more, how you're working with text much more. Um, that's totally divorced from staging things or actually coming into, into a rehearsal room with a director. Mm -hmm. Actually how there is so much more to be had from just um, standing and singing. And these days um, when people say to me, oh, uh, good sound, that quite a good sound, I'm thinking, well, but what else does it have? I mean, I'd love dearly and have many friends that sing in the, the kind of the, the, the vocal ensembles, the, the 16 and tenebrae and all the lovely groups. But to my own mind, uh, their colour that they have is the colour. Um, and I want something else. And I found it, I think, here in Opera, which is wonderful.
tell me a little bit more about the work you've been doing with the youth company here. That's quite a lot. Five years yeah. seems no time at all in the kind of the, the, the life cycle of things. I think the youth company is really interesting that it's one of the few places that, that runs weekly training for young people in an opera setting. So we have three ensembles uh, which cover the age ranges of 8 to 19 and we are thinking about how we can take young people and we can develop a whole range of skills. So obviously singing, uh, but acting and drama is a big thing which I brought in quite recently. I'm very pleased that we've, that we've done that. And so my work here at Opera North is, is focused on that, weekly rehearsals with these extraordinary young people. And that might be one term, a, an opera. Uh, we've recently done uh, the opera Brundibar, which we, we performed here in Leeds and also up at the Sage in Gateshead. Um, it might be a normal singing concert uh, with the company just on stage singing some repertoire. It might be a collaborative project. We've done some work with uh, Phoenix Dance with their youth uh, company. Uh, we've done some work devising opera with composers and with uh, poets. So it can be a real range and it's certainly not the case that I come here and we have a two-hour singing rehearsal. It's a really varied programme. And that's quite apart from other roles that I have in the company, like rehearsing children for main stage shows or having a bit of an oversee and an eye on what's going on chorally in the education department. So it's a really varied programme. And I don't work here full-time, so I come up here and my time in Leeds is absolutely chock-a-block with, with so many varied, wonderful things. It's really exciting to be here. Why do you think that it's important for an opera company like Opera North to engage with young people in this way? I think it's vital. I think it's absolutely vital that we are thinking about this generation. I think in various ways we're thinking about the most accomplished of them going into the, into the art form going to train, coming back here and being on stage in Leeds in 10 years' time. And I think some of them would say that's what they would like to do, what they aspire to do. But it's not just about that. It's about educating these people to go out into the world and to evangelise about the art form. They might not ever be a singer on the main stage, but they might be the person who goes into banking and from their fortune is able to give money back so they totally get the art form as, as something that's valid and also that's relevant because I think that's a difficulty isn't it that we need to make sure that these young people are able to understand these great bits of music and this great art form on their own terms not just be told by the generation above them this is how it goes and this is how it looks and to give them some experience of that and to let them question that and to take them into dress rehearsals and rehearsals with the chorus um, and hear from members of the company, it just totally opens their minds to, as, as to being something that isn't this odd, slightly musty art form that is uh, populated by people of a certain age. Um, and perhaps I shouldn't say that on a, on a podcast, but I think that's, uh, to some minds, the reality of it. Yeah, of course. There is this wonderful experiment that if you go into a primary school, um, and I'm not talking about the primary schools that, that Opera North works with, if one goes into a primary school and says, now, opera, how does an opera singer stand? How does an opera singer sing? 
somebody will get up and they will make themselves as big as possible and they will put their hand in front of their uh, bodies, gesturing to the skies and make a very high, very warbly noise. And that is the preconception. Now, nobody can quite understand it, although I have a theory it's slightly to do with programs like The X Factor, where occasionally they do have those sort of singers yeah. on it. Yeah. Um, but that is, that is the challenge, isn't it? That, yeah. is the, that is what... And if they're thinking that, their parents are thinking that. So if we can stop that, um, I hasten to add that the, the children of the youth company have never gestured to the sky and sung in a high, warbly voice that I'm aware of. <laughs> But that's the, that's the challenge. And so if they can come in here and we can, we can do I mean normalise it or make it a perfectly acceptable, normal thing to do, where it's just about being your best and giving yourself to something in the way that you might when you go and play football or rugby, it's exactly the same. I'm going to ask a question that you're not going to like, Nick. You have recently been awarded the Educators Trust Inspirational Educator Award 2022 for your outstanding contribution to music education. What does that feel like? Yes, that feels strange to me. I am somebody who's not particularly vocal about what I do. Um, I'm not on social media and I pay no attention to social media at all. I'm not sort of shouting about my work because I was always taught by a wonderful Dutch conductor called Jan Jus van Ulberg that the, all you had to do was go into the rehearsal room and be good. That was, that was enough. And so to be given an award for it, uh, my first reaction was one of slight horror. I that, know, I felt really bad. <laughs> <laughs> that I'd been sort of found and this was kind of public knowledge that I was quite good at my job. Um, in hindsight, I think that's a ridiculous thing and I'm very glad to receive the reward. I think, if I think about it, to be given an accolade for a particular performance, so if the youth company does something amazing and somebody says, oh, that was a, such a moving event, thank you so much, I'm really um, receptive and really happy to receive that sort of uh, adulation. But award for just doing what I do is a harder one for me to take, but I think that's just me, and I am I am ex uh, exceptionally uh, honoured to have been nominated by the company and then to have been awarded this award. So I shall look forward to going to London for that big grand dinner and receiving it uh, in the middle of April. This is one of the hard questions. Mm -hmm. So. If you had a piece of advice to give to a young singer who might be interested in embarking on a career, what would it be? Or a young person who might be tempted to give conducting a go? It is hard, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Because it's a tricky thing to persevere with. I don't think it's as hard as acting. I always think acting is such a hard thing for perseverance. You know, for me, it's a dance. Dance. Okay. I just, I just always am amazed by... Um, yeah, the level of physical perfection yeah. that you have to... I can, yeah. I can totally understand that. I think as a, as a young singer or a young conductor, there are a couple of things that are absolutely key. I think in any situation, if you're serious about what you're doing, never turn up unprepared. And that absolutely is, is for a, a whole career, that, that you need to respect the people in the room with you. And whether that's a, as a 14-year-old going to a singing lesson 
or a 24-year-old conducting your friends in an orchestra, never turn up unprepared because you can never bluff it. You could, well, let's rephrase that. You probably can bluff it, but if you are, then you're doing yourself a real disservice. And how do you know when you are prepared? Enough? Are you ever prepared enough? I think you've got to know what you want from something. You've got to know the music well enough to know where am I going to start with this and what do I want to get at the end of it. Mm-hmm. I think the younger you are, that's, that's, that level of self-realisation is quite tricky. And so it's about knowing notes and feeling comfortable with what you're doing um, and then trusting whoever you're um, being taught by, if you're lucky enough to have a teacher, to be taken on, on that journey. But I think if you end up a, any process in the same place where you started... I think you're probably needing to do more work or think more about, about what you're doing because I think that's, that's the biggest thing that, that I have always found is that actually those times where you do... And I'll be honest, as a professional musician, there are times where you're up against it and you rely on experience. But you can only rely on experience when you have the experience. And as a young person, you don't have that luxury. And I think if you are prepared, then be prepared to make mistakes. I think that's that's absolutely part of the, the, the deal. Because a mistake coming from nerves or a mistake coming from in the heat of the moment you're thinking about something else is, is totally valid and, and totally part, part of your process. And it's something you learn to, um, to deal with. And certainly nerves, for instance. I think I'm no longer very nervous because I performed so much. And I, I made myself perform, 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 perform. Um, and learn how to deal with that, um, and yeah, that was a lucky. Because that that's also something that is a is a big part of being a performer mm. is is trying to manage your nerve, mm. and I, I think most people have stage fright. So yeah, so your advice would be to do it more and more. And, I think and, so. Yeah, yeah. and um, I think totally. And then when you make mistakes, then take those mistakes away and not think I've failed. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember at school the first time I played an organ piece. <laughs> I think it was unrecognisable, most of it. I think <laughs> the first bar went all right. And then I started the pedalling, started using my feet. And then it very quickly deserved... I, I suspect it was some Bach. And it ended up more like Schoenberg. Um, <laughs> but this organ teacher of mine, he realised I was mortified. I was probably about 13. Mm-hmm. Wrote me, wrote me a little postcard, which I think I've probably still got, saying, look, when I was your age... This happened. It totally is part of the game. But you'd worked really hard on this piece. Your lessons went really well. And you were suddenly playing in front of all your peers. And guess what? You were nervous. Um, so to embrace those sort of mistakes and to, and to take that experience and then be kind of self-motivated enough to keep going with it. Mm-hmm. Keep going with it. Um, and I think the other thing I'd say is, is take feedback. Because anybody who thinks they're too good for feedback... Um, is really, I think, in trouble when they get into the profession because it's brutal and people always think uh, that either they can do it better than you and sometimes they absolutely can or they're a bit annoyed that they're, you're doing a job that they feel that they should be doing um, and that's a resilience um, I think is really important as well because you've just yeah, got and to it's what doing. helps you getting better as well. Yeah. If you're able to take that feedback and understand how mm. you can make things better, that's also mm. something that can help you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I was wondering what you find most difficult about the job you do, 
and what is the best reward about it? The most difficult thing is balancing time, I think. Uh, I work up for an author as part of a it's not really a portfolio career because they're all employments. I mean, I, I still maintain a little uh, um, toe in church music at Lincoln's Inn in London where I'm director of music, so I still do have some experience of that. And I teach a day at a girls' school in London, which I really love doing as well. So I'm always managing lots of things. I have always thrived on having different jobs, but it's the jigsaw puzzle. It's trying to balance it all and have some sense of home life. Uh, and seeing my family, which is always the hardest thing, and the conflict and knowing when to say yes to something and when to turn something down that you'd really like to do, but actually you just cannot give of your best because of that. That's the, that's the hardest struggle, certainly. I think the best reward, um, and I've said this before, and I totally stick by this, is watching young people take ownership of something that you set up. That's the key. Because then you think you've passed it on. It's, it's theirs then. It's not, not me telling them how to do it. It's not me saying we'll do this. It's, it's a group of young people loving a bit of music. And it doesn't matter, does it? It, it could be in any style at all. It's, it's a totally valid uh, in whatever style of music that you're, you're, that you're working in. But for them to take ownership of it is the, is the key. If you've done that, then you've done your job. You've been listening to the Artistic Futures podcast with choral conductor and educator Nicolas Schoe. Next time, I will be speaking to Opera North music director Gary Walker. If you have any burning question for our future guests or would like to suggest people you would like to meet, please email education at opranorth.co.uk. You can also find us on Twitter, search Opera North Education. See you next time! <laughs>